Welcome to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. We're an educational nonprofit based out of Montana and Arizona. This is a special series focusing exclusively on the cultural humility framework. This model is sourced from the Train the Trainer session taught by Dr. Melody Turbalon and Dr. Jan Marie Garcia, along with their published article. You can learn all about this through our website, indigenousvision.org slash cultural humility. That is also where you can learn more about our upcoming training sessions. Thank you for listening. Cultural Humility, People, Principles and Practices. Hello, welcome back to another IV podcast. I'm here with the beautiful voiced and recovering Melissa Spence and Leah Wetzel, who both had the experience of a culture humility training with me a couple months ago, which I thought it was a month ago and and we all have different timelines around it, but we spent a few minutes getting caught up and it was so good to hear from both of you. And how have you been? I'm doing, like you said, I'm on the recovery two months since our cultural humility, since I've seen Leah on the zoom. So we will let her introduce herself. She was such a, oh my God. And she's got a black kitty. She was so lovely to have in the cohort. So Leah, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So hello everybody. Um, my name is Leah Wetzel. My black feet name is Punaki elk woman. I am the vice president of the North Central Montana Human Trafficking and Missing and Murdered Indigenous Task Force, as well as a criminal justice certified behavioral health peer support specialist for the 8th Judicial Veterans Court within the Indigenous Dynamics. I'm a trainer, facilitator, and I also offer um, independent consulting uh, right now within the state of Montana. Well, thank you for joining us. I know we're a couple months after the cohort. Just wanted you to come on and kind of reflect on how your life has changed since working under the cultural humility, quote unquote, umbrella, if you will. I know that you were applying it maybe in your workplace. And like a lot of us do, I do particularly as well in my job that I work at here in a restaurant. It's it's absolutely everywhere. And also in my personal life. So What's new from the past two months that you've noticed? Well, to start out, I've been doing cultural, uh, specifically Indigenous First Nations cultural sensitivity work since 2020. I came across your guys' podcast, I want to say a month before Suta messaged me on Messenger and asked me to join your cohort. And I had found you guys on the podcast and I started looking at the website and I like put it out in the universe. I'm like, oh my God, this would add to what I'm doing already, my journey tremendously. And I just did a interview with um, Indigenous Wellness Magazine and I got a, a message from Suta and I was heading out to one of our drop-in centers to do an in-person visit. First of all, I feel like it was definitely creator opening paths to me, meeting you two, and also within this model, this, this really way of life. Hugely, it's validated a lot of the feelings within myself just through being a 
an indigenous woman, just through being a, a woman of color in this, in society. I grew up with, you know, both my parents are Blackfeet. My grandfather was Blackie Wetzel. He was president of the National Coalition of American Indians in the 1960s. He helped develop that. He also helped develop a lot of other work for, for our people. And going through this really reminded me of man, imagine what he had to go through. You know, imagine all the work. Imagine how many times where he probably felt like hitting somebody, he shook their hand. <laughs> you know, knowing both worlds, living urban majority of my life, but also knowing um, knowing that country life, knowing that uh, reservation life. I see where there's a lot of injustices. And I also see where there's a lot of it ignorance, lack of uh, knowledge of how to just humanize your interactions with people. How do you, you guys taught me to look for that, that privilege in a room where I'm, I'm the only colored or, or I'm the minority of the room that to be able to recognize that and not to allow that to take power and to still stand up and, and still know my, my worth, even within myself, even within, you know, I'm a woman that's in recovery on the 18th. I'll have four years of, of recovery, four years of, you know, substance abuse recovery, and as well as being within the criminal justice system. And I make mistakes all the time. So I'm on a journey of really trying to better myself daily. And I love that you know, Sutta says, this is a, this is a lifetime thing. This is an everyday thing of bettering ourselves and also knowing our worth and being able to notice when we might be getting gaslighted or maybe getting treated as the sensitive colored woman or, you know, those types of things, the pink elephant in the room, you know, and to just be able to verbalize that and verbalize it in a way that's pretty, pretty humble, um, I think is, is really amazing. Wow. Well, that list of titles that you have is, is such important work. I mean, they're important titles, but you're actually your front lines person working with people who are kind of our most, would you say the people that you work with and try to help through recovery are are like our most vulnerable populations to becoming missing and murdered Indigenous people? Definitely. And I was just telling someone within the task force the other day, I've, I've only been on the task force for a little over a year. I started out as victim service advocate, working within the victim service. And um, within a couple months, I was vice president and had a lot to do with this being a pretty new task force. And we've just now become 501c3 within the last year. And so a lot of the work we do is, is volunteering at this point. And so it's shown me a group of individuals that are passionate. And then the people that actually do volunteer to do a lot of this work um, like if we're doing events or we need volunteers at a fundraiser or um, we did a We the People event up in Cup Bank during the search. 
last year for uh, Leo Gallagher and Baby Arden. I had two of my Blackfeet veterans, um, one's graduated now, one's getting ready to graduate, come and share their story. And so, yes, I feel like they are a vulnerable population, but I get to work with them in a very small way. I get a one-on-one -on -one with them and a group a week. So like a lot of the work I do is education and awareness within trainings, presentations. Last week, or let's see, two weeks ago, I got to bring a lady by the name of Joanne Wagner from uh, Blackfeet Reservation. She's a surviving widow of MMIP. Her husband, Shane LaPlante, was, was murdered on Blackfeet Reservation. She's now in recovery. She's been in recovery for a year now, and now she wants to do advocacy work. And so I invited her to this, this state uh, symposium, and she could not believe. I was able to show her another side of the world because I know on our end, I know being in the criminal justice system and being a Native American woman in this world, I can too stigmatize others. And I was able to show her, they showed her themselves. We had the attorney general, uh, county attorneys across the state, MMIP and human trafficking organizations, federal state officials. After we did our introduction, they were like standing in line waiting to talk to us. And they did a best practices video and, you know, they're acknowledging who needs to be front and center and leading the way through this stuff. And that's people with life experience. Being somebody that has lived through being human trafficked myself since I was 19 years old, I didn't even know that was the name of it until I got educated. And then it clicked. I'm like, oh, my God, that's what happened to me. You know, there's not many of us on this end that have the life experience that lived through it and are here and are doing well. And so I try to be that empowering voice to know that people aren't alone and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Within my own story, I stood up and spoke against the man that almost killed me. And since doing that, three other women came forward and that man is behind bars for at least 40 years. I was able to speak at his sentencing and um, since then been sharing my own story of being a survivor. It's so, I think, I think it's really critical that our listeners see or recognize the framework that's happening systemically here and um, making this connection between our most vulnerable populations, which are, I think as Indigenous people, we're all kind of vulnerable. We're all genocide survivors, and we all are working with various levels of post-traumatic stress disorder because there's that one, oh, I wish I need to write it down and put my stats on the wall, but the there's uh, a few years ago, uh, an article came out that said reservation children who have 
ACE scores of this have more PTSD than an Iraqi war veteran. So you think that we're like dealing with that on a general population level, just being survivors. And then we're still like going through like this somewhat like ongoing genocide of subpar services and then societal mentalities of our, our value and our worth as people in a population. And I think that relates like those of us who are, who have support systems and we're able to like be resilient and pop back from these like kind of continuing traumas. And then we're able to like maintain our jobs while like working through our traumas at the same time. And then there's those of us who don't have like the support systems that you provide in your recovery work. And those individuals are left to kind of like just deal and handle their feelings all by themselves, or maybe they don't have healthy outlets or they don't have, you know, that elder or that peer or that somebody who's been through it or somebody to help walk them through like when they're like this is too hard I'm just gonna do this drug and forget about it for a little while (laughs) and and then it just it makes things worse and then they get into this like really vicious cycle of like I don't want to feel these feelings and I'm just gonna keep doing what feels good and then we get to this situation where those of us who are lucky to be here because too many of us as native people are dying violent deaths and our suicide rates are like pretty astronomical for youth uh, suicide rates. And I want people to, that's really long explanation, but I want people to make the connection that whether you have this assumption that native people are like drunken, druggy bums who are sitting on the side of the corner, just feeding off government handouts or whether, and how that stereotype that we all grow up with, because that folds into that cowboys and Indians mentality. And then just like picking out little things, these stereotypes to like amplify about an entire population of people. How am I going to say this specifically, but like the feelings you spoke about knowing our worth in the workplace and then having your feelings validated as an indigenous woman and a woman of color. So I'm thinking of like systemic things like, man, our people who don't have those support systems are like turning to bottle and, and drugs. And then those of us who are able to deal with it at a functioning level <laughs> still need some level of counseling or support And then we still deal with it systemically. Like if we speak up about an injustice at work, we're over emotional or we're too sensitive or we're angry. And like, if we say something and, and we're tone policed and like, oh, well, you're really emotionally charged about that. Well, like, okay, (laughs) this has been going on for a hundred of years and how many people have died from it? How can you not be emotional about these things? And then we say in class, you know, you go through these things every day and every day our tolerance level to injustices biases and racism sexism is different and and so yeah tomorrow I might be more sensitive than I am today and and it might you know be the straw that broke Sutta's back but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's a really important connection there for people to make because I don't think we lose those feelings from, I think that, I think they're really similar feelings and different levels of support that we're all getting as a population in general. And so I really admire the work that you're doing to help our, our relatives recover. Thank you. I think that, and I feel a lot of times that 
we of color may have to prove ourselves a little bit more than the rest. And it really shouldn't be that way. I think the timing or our creator's path and journey he chose for me, I don't know what it was. But I tell you what, I was that girl that was stuck within that revolving door that didn't know where to go. And the support that I did have, you know, there was a, there was a, there's a lot of gaps within connection and support within our communities. I know even here locally. And so in developing what I have, I've tried to have it to be able to um, even reach our dynamics on the reservations. I have, you know, that Saturday Zoom group specifically to support those that don't have that support because that's what I hear a lot is they don't have that support there. And me, when I was in the programming that I was in when I got out of prison, there was a lot of changes and I we would say, oh no, we had, you know, they had another divorce. Like whether it be the counseling agency and the programming or somewhere along there. So we'd get a flow of getting support. Something would go wrong politically and then we'd fall through cracks and we'd have to, you know, but we come from a long line of people that had made do with what we have. And so now I just try to be that person that I wish I would have had. Um, as far as systemically injustices, since I started working in this field, one agency I worked for, you know, coming out of the lifestyle that I did, I had really low self-esteem. Coming out of the criminal justice system, coming out of toxic life, traumas of all sorts, I was very head shy. I didn't know that balance between standing up for myself and knowing when to stand up for myself. It was either letting people railroad me or run over me or snapping. And so through that program that I was in, I tried to start looking at the positive things in people. And then when I started doing this work, the first agency I worked at, or I say worked at, but Really, I worked for nothing for six months. And I developed one of the best programs this town has had for Indigenous in a really long time. And I made sure my elders got paid. I made sure everybody else was okay, but I didn't look out for myself. And then when I finally did ask to get paid, I was gaslighted like, oh, why didn't you just say something? Well, when have you ever had to ask to get paid? Another place I worked at, a girl that is non-native that I went to the training with, the Peer 101 training with, um, said, oh, uh, we're looking for somebody. So I went and visited with them and I started. The minute I started showing my worth, um, I started getting less hours. I started getting treated bad. And, and so that's when I went into like independent work. I was doing uh, independent contracts. Even then, within some of the partners, were just expecting me to do things for free. And I say within those two years of all that going on, I was investing in myself because those were the times that I really started getting my name out there. Creator must have known the good in my heart because it was that next year that things really started taking off for me.
even within the interactions that I have today, there's things that happen that shouldn't happen. There's things that I know if I would do it, it wouldn't be okay, but it's okay to do it with, do it to me. Um, whether it be power and privilege situations, whether it be jealousy. On one of your podcasts, you were, you were speaking of um, non-natives saying that their great-great-grandmother was this or that. And I come in contact with people like that, that they think that's the way to like connect with me. So I get the chance to, within my trainings, to, to voice that. And you help me voice that even more. But looking at things in a big picture, here we have the state wanting to hire people that have education and life experience to come and help them better communicate with our tribal areas. Or we have Department of of Justice uh, workers and, and county attorneys and organizations within human trafficking and MMIP um, asking those with life experience to help them develop a training to better advocate and support our dynamics. And so that really gives me hope. It gives me hope that the little bits and pieces of injustices that each of us, you within your work, we've taught me, I'm just getting into the groove of my work, but the bit of injustices that we go through we're standing, we're standing up for, for those to come to not have to deal with it, to not have to put up with it and that it's not okay. Definitely. I'm totally willing to like sacrifice a little bit of my, I don't know, whatever assumptions people want to make about my character. Like I kind of, you know, feel some way about being called an activist. And I'm like, what if I'm just a Blackfoot woman who really wants my grandchildren to practice my culture? And I thought about it. And for that, I'm going to need clean water and kind of like a functioning ecosystem for that. So that doesn't make me an activist. I don't think I think it makes me a Blackfoot woman who who wants my grandchildren to practice the culture. Wow. Thank you for visiting with us. We, we definitely will need to have a part two on this conversation because this is going to go into our culture, humility reflections, our series, because we're going to kind of keep on interviewing people who have attended our trainings before and see how life's going. Because <laughs> it because for Melissa and I, it has really changed the the framework with how we deal with life on a personal and professional level. And for us, it's brought a lot of peace, patience with life and the oppression that we feel. And that first comment before we started, we hit record, uh, the lady making the comment to you of you must be feeling the oppression of the people like, dang, yes, I feel it. <laughs> and yep. I don't want I don't want other people to feel it. So Yep. For a non-native. So I always say it takes a tribe to keep me up. It takes, you know, I have a counselor, I have a psychiatrist, I have um, my own peer support, I have clinical supervision, you know, I have my, my home groups, my recovery groups, and I have the groups that I contract myself. But one of those people within that support you know, she, she probably talks to me more than anybody. And she's like, literally says, I feel like you're feeling the work that you're doing is pushing against 
all these years of suppression that your people have felt so the people to come can fight feel feel a little less and she's like she doesn't at all agree with it she doesn't at all think any of the things that I've I've gone through within the last few months is okay you know my auntie always tells me you know let this life wasn't meant to be easy it is built the way it is for those ones that can handle it and I'm just grateful that I'm at a place in my life that I can handle it a little bit better. I'm very grateful for you because when I first started, when I first started seeing like, okay, yeah, yeah. Cause I've lived a lifetime of gas being gaslit and our people have lived hundreds and hundreds of years of being gaslit thousands really when I was validated in that. And I'm like, yeah, it's not okay to be called a they (laughs) or a them, you know, that doesn't set well with me. And to to see it in a framework as words that are not okay to use, it, it felt so good. And then when I, when I seen somebody doing those, those oops and those whoops list, I'm like, that's not okay. And it's okay for me to say something. I'm just like when, you know, the framework shares, we should have two facilitators because like you said, this is hundreds of years of stuff. This isn't just a lifetime full of mental illness that we're talking about of one person's life experience. We're talking about generations upon generations of people and it's in our DNA. And so Mm -hmm. I'm okay talking about something one day and not the next. That's all right. You know, we're not being that sensitive native woman that day. And it's okay for us to say, I don't want to. Absolutely. It's called being trauma responsive. And I feel like, like, I'm kind of like, just amazed that this would be a conversation in your industry because I know the stats as somebody who works in the environmental justice and social justice field that poverty is the gateway drug. (laughs) Poverty is the gateway drug and poverty and the conditions that we're in are what creates that mental, emotional state to be vulnerable. If you're asking somebody from this population of people to do anything for like if you're making an ask then you make an offer it's like that old mother's advice of don't ever go to anybody's house empty-handed don't be that guest that shows up empty-handed like you bring you know muffins or <laughs> a housewarming gift or something like right. you, you make a mutual exchange and making an ask without a mutual exchange is is called exploitation. Thank you for sharing everything yes. and and being that resilience and that support that's needed in our community and then being like part of our circle as well because uh, we love talking with people who who yes have been through hard things but we're focusing on bettering ourselves every single day and every day is a new chance to be the people that we want to be and and be there for bringing our entire community up by bringing ourselves up. So thank you so much for your love and your devotion to our people. And we'll see you again on our part two. (laughs) I'm just fallen told. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you guys. Have a good day. Bye. We'll talk, talk soon again. You've been listening to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. 
If you would like to sign up for one of our trainings or find out when our next training is, visit our website, indigenousvision.org slash cultural humility. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit, and on Instagram at Indigenous Vision Media. Visit the show description for this episode to find all the links for more on cultural humility.